0: This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 74. Have you ever made a mistake? Do you wonder if you can be successful in your life, even if you're not perfect? Do you feel like things are out of control and things just happen? Even if you're satisfied with your life, listen to part two of our interview with Shanae Schwart to discover a simple new way of thinking that you will find thought-provoking and can help you achieve more control and success in your life.
1: Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line.
0: was just working with somebody yesterday who is really doing this in a company, and this is a company that is worldwide, has over 25,000 people working for it, and he said the taken-for-granted story at the company is you suck and you have to change that and he said it hasn't been working well and so we've been we've been changing that to a preferred story and getting people together and finding out what they would like instead so they've been making some progress on that um when you do this when you go into a company and you you find out what the taken for granted story is and then you start looking at what the preferred story might be are there certain i don't know if you call them rules or certain things that you you do or don't do when you're talking about the story yes I'm, okay
2: <laughs> i i i'm realizing more and more how i am guided by so many things firstly the the whole idea of and taken for granted beliefs and ideas are hugely built on judgment, assumptions, practices of advice about knowing others, knowing about others, things that they don't know about themselves. So for me, the first thing that I always keep in mind is how can I invite everybody in the room on all levels to participate in the naming of the story? me that that is so important the invitation and then uh, the second thing is that coming from this african continent i i have been taught by so many of my friends how important our human connection is and how important it is to pause um, so that we can surface all of the multiplicity of narratives Sometimes in organizations, we are so, in our heads, we, uh, opinions are so important and problem solving is so important that we just stay on the intellectual level, but we don't see with the heart what's really going on. So for me, part of creating the space and environment for the stories to be welcomed is to understand that we are all a human beings. We're connected in the web of stories. And then also the beautiful capacity that human beings are meaning makers and they are story makers. We cannot but make meaning. When we see something, our brains interpret it and we draw conclusions from it. And for me, the invitation to really take on, again, the role of a meaning maker and a story maker in organizations is is really different. And therefore, we have to create a space where the multiplicity of stories that get us stuck and stories that get us, that take us forward, can both be equally welcomed. Because they they both give us ideas and practices. They they come with histories that can all inform us and help us understand of why they matter and why they're kept in place. So for me, that is the. Uh, some of the things that I keep in mind in the invitation, because I think uh, what has happened in our Western society in particular is that we have think we thought of storytelling firstly just as something that children do, or it they just the fisherman's lies about how big the fish was that the that the person caught. And nowadays storytelling is used as a marketing tool. Where every leader is expected to tell a good story, or sometimes even an authentic story. But the whole work community stories aren't necessarily valued and seen as important. So for me, it is a whole movement into a co-authorship of organizational narratives and really understanding how we make meaning and how powerful it can be is if an organization can make new meaning together.
0: I really like what you're saying. And the other thing is that that people are observing the story and not in it or not finding, like, blaming other people or judging other people. It's almost like you're watching a movie. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit?
2: That's an interesting idea. I like that. <laughs> because that... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I thought that, that was you. yours. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> because uh, and and for me that is why creating the the context and uh, and the environment for a different kind of conversation is so important for me because if we just invite people's opinions they they stay in the audience seeing the unfolding narrative and and don't realize that they are co-authoring that narrative they are participating in writing it and therefore it is so important for me to invite people into the narration so that they are in it and not just give an opinion about it.
0: Okay, so it's just the opposite of what i said, so you're you're getting everyone to understand that they are co-authoring whatever the story is, even if it's yeah. even if they think they don't like the story, like in mm-hmm. your example of the Middle East peace workers that they were part of the story that they were invisible and c- couldn't make mm. a difference. Exactly. Beautiful. exactly. Beautiful. So thank you for that question. That's <laughs> such a gift to me. <laughs> so, but at the same time that they see that they're part of that story, You, there's some kind of way that you say we're not blaming any other person or making judgment on them. How do you do that? How do you get people to just be, understand we're all creating it mm-hmm. and we're not making somebody an other or like it's their fault? What do you do mm-hmm. there?
2: Well, I think one of the most powerful things in, in the narrative practices are the use of language. So in our Western society, we problematize people. Or communities so we make them the problem and our language is also crafted in that way so we would say he's the depressed man or South Africa is a, a violent nation you won't feel safe there and so it's 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 kind of joining the problems to people into one thing Can you can you back up with narrative
0: languages that we're always separating? Sinead, back up a a little bit. It it broke up there. So you you said we're always languaging people as a problem. Can you say that again? So what happens in Western society
2: is we're always thinking of who's to blame, and in that blaming, we join the person or the community with the problem. They become one. And in narrative work, we always separate the person from the problem. So if I can give an example, in our Western society, we would say, he is the depressed man. And as we language a person into that problem, we're kind of talking about a single story about the person only being depressed. But if we ask a question and say, "When when did the the depression came to visit you for the first time?" In that question, we are separating the person from the problem, and this is not only true for individuals, but it also happens in organizations. Um, it also happens in, as we language in community. So for me, this is a very very important invitation that, as a facilitator. And as you invite people into the work, you ask them to ask to ask questions differently, to be very carefully curious, and not a curiosity that goes uh, like, and then tell me and what happened then and then and then. But it's a it's a very respectful curiosity where we ask questions that we really don't know the answer to. We are always surprised by people's exotic lives and the way they make meaning and the art of their living practices and so it's firstly just a different way to see human beings and to speak to speak about them and with them in different ways always separating them from problem language and problem stories and that in itself sometimes creates Creates the space for people
0: to show up in preferred ways. Beautiful. I'm in the process of writing a book on master, master, mastery and coaching, and a really, really masterful coach does the same thing. You don't assume anything that you know the answers or the way anybody thinks. You really, really work to ask questions so that you can find their point of view, their context, the way they... Mm. The way they view themselves in the world. And um, so people have really been kind of abused by questions
2: and and people are kind of used to, you know, being asked questions kind of in a we want to catch you out mode, or they're not surprising. They know the answers to that. And so I, I think questions as a practice where people can be surprised by the question and then they would say, "I've never thought of that," or "That is a difficult question," <laughs> you know, and that opens up the possibility in itself to, for people to live into preferred ways. Just the mere fact that that somebody would give them the gift of a question that they would never have thought of before—that's
0: so beautiful. And the, the next, the next question I was going to ask you, which segues right into what you were just saying, was: How do you create more space for human connection? Sounds like Just asking people questions is one way to do that. Is there some other things that you would suggest? I think our fascination with other human beings. In this
2: season of my life, I see every conversation I have with somebody as it more or less equates to a book that I read. Because as I am with people in this world, I am learning about amazing resilience, amazing extraordinary lives that people, what we call in in narrative ideas, our lives have been domesticated in some way, so that we think it's nothing special. But the stories that I am witness to, not only in coaching or consulting context, but just in ordinary conversations with people, I absolutely amaze and inspired and filled with hope When I listen to people's exotic lives, and I think part of creating that space is the willingness to learn from others, the willingness to always be surprised, to always uh, let my assumptions and judgment about people, to always let that go, because I'm never right. And I think for me, it's it's the creation of that very gracious space with generous listening, careful curiosity, and sharing gifts that I've received out of that conversation,
0: I have found to be inviting practices into see people differently. That's so beautiful. And I agree with you that most people are not ever asked those types of questions. And I'm wondering, how do you draw that out from people that aren't used to sharing anything or not even being asked anything about their lives have you found something that helps to draw people out and help them to share their stories more in group work i have found that if i share a little bit of my own story
2: that that what people call vulnerability is an invitation but i am a keen listener just to the language that people use and for me that is the the vocabulary that people use is for me the entry point for any question because if i honor the way that they express themselves. So often in facilitation, we would listen to somebody reflecting and then a facilitator would say, oh, but you, what, you, what I hear you're really saying is this or that. And what we really do then is we take their words and their way of expression and their meaning, we put it through our own machinery and then spit it out. And especially if we're a facilitator or coach, we have so much power that I've just found people to be silenced by them by that kind of comments, I would call them. So for me, I when I listen to somebody, I use their exact words to ask a question. When you say that, what do you mean? What, is, what does that mean for you? I, I just had a coaching conversation again today and the person was surprised when I asked him, what does that mean? And he looked at me like I should know and I said, I really don't know what you mean when you say this. And, and so for me, part of this practice is constantly the invitation to give back the pen in the primary authorship, constantly in every question to say, oh, but these are your words. What do they mean and how do they influence your life?
0: And I hear you doing that with curiosity and with no judgment. Yes. That's, yes. that's beautiful. And and it's not
2: that I always get it right. I think um, we are raised to judge (laughs) and just for survival reasons. But I I just wink at myself every time that my judgment is not true. And that happens most of the time, that I am completely wrong. And so I think I've I've just let it go because I'm wrong anyway. And people surprise me in so many ways.
0: So part of part of your new story is that you don't have to be perfect and get it right no matter what your position is. You can just yeah, let no, it go it, and move I, on. I have no
2: I have no relationship with the story of perfection. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Beautiful. We're just about at the end of our time and I I wanted to to end by asking you a question from your book. You, you said every conversation you enter creates with it the possibility of transformation. Tell us about that, please. If we are meaning makers,
2: it means that if we enter with an open heart and no judgment and careful curiosity, it, it means that we can re-mean not only our own life but our relationship with others. We can re-mean what this world is about. And I think I walk into to all conversations with that expectation that I might be totally thinking differently about anything today because of this conversation. I might be transformed. The possibilities of me having a relationship with this kind of person can be totally transformed. And who knows, maybe the world will be transformed because we have this conversation.
0: Yeah, and you're so fully present and anticipating The excitement of the experience of what's going to unfold in the moment you're in. Is that, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. Yes, exactly, because I'm reading a book. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm also writing the book while I'm reading the book in the conversation. (laughs) Writing the book and reading the book. And we're all writing the book and reading the book. And Mm. we get to choose how we want to author our personal lives, and how we want to author our lives at our companies and in the world. Yes, and that's absolutely. Uh, and once uh, somebody, somebody said about, about my book, Reauthoring the World, he said, it's not really
2: bedtime reading, you know. And <laughs> then I said, I should hope so. <laughs> if you want to
0: change the, the world, I, I should hope that you won't fall asleep while reading this book. <laughs> um, Shanae, I'm, I am nourished. From this conversation, and I'm sure that the women and men listening to this will also be, Shanae, the author of Reauthoring the World, the Narrative Lens and Practices for Organizations, Communities, and Individuals, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for the gift and all your beautiful questions that helped me get clearer
2: once more. I appreciate it so much, and your friendship.
0: <laughs> thank you, Sabina. And, and thank you too. I'm. I've. Uh, we can't see each other, but I've got a big smile on my face. Thanks again. Can you do me a favor? I would really appreciate you giving me a great review. Every great review we get allows more women to discover the show and helps them succeed please visit iTunes and subscribe to Women's Leadership Success Podcast. Also, I really appreciate you sharing my show with your friends and associates. And thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at Sabrina at